The Guardian Women's Football Weekly is supported by Visa. Hello, I'm Faker Rothers and welcome to the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Rampant, rambunctious, riveting and riotous fun by the end of it with Russo stealing the headlines after that naughty back heel. The 13-year wait is over. England are into a major tournament final for the first time since 2009. 4-0, cruising, no stress. Were we even watching England? We'll reflect on a special night for the Lionesses against Sweden. Look ahead to Germany, France, and that's today's Guardian Women's Football Weekly. The Guardian Women's Football Weekly is supported by Visa, a proud sponsor of UEFA Women's Euro 2022. During UEFA Women's Euro 2022, Visa will celebrate individual excellence by sponsoring the Player of the Match trophy, awarded to the player who displays amazing skill and determination in each game. The Player of the Match trophy champions the values of female empowerment, diversity and equality, which are the driving forces behind Visa's work in supporting women's football. Find out more at theguardian.com slash all hyphen win. What a panel we have. Susie Rack, all I can say is thank God for your terrible predictions. <laughs> your dark horses have bolted. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm quite relieved that my predictions have continued to epically fail all the way through. Listen, I still have your charger from Switzerland. I <laughs> brought it with me to the game last night and I didn't give it to you. It is now my superstition that I cannot return that charger to you until England have won the final. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I mean, I'm not likely to go back to Switzerland before then. So, you know, I think we're all right on that score. Yeah, you might be busy the next few days, perhaps. Uh, Johnny Lou, massive FOMO. We missed you last night. Yeah, I mean, I'm in in Germany. I watched it on the telly and the commentators were, were really not getting into it at all. When like when Russo scored that goal, he went, Yeah, I'm Britta Tour for England. Russo. And that was it. That was it. So, so I, I feel like I've missed out on a few emotions. <laughs> yeah. It might be a bit different tonight. We shall see. Salon Hickman, how is the voice? I saw you with the strepsils. It's really at an all-time low, I'd say. I'd say comparable voices have been after Beyonce set at Glastonbury and um yeah, I'm I'm okay with it. I'm quite happy sounding like this. Sorry to any listeners that can't deal with this grating voice, but it's a product of this tournament. I love it. It feels like we're listening to late night love. <laughs> it's wonderful. Um, right, the biggest ever margin of victory in a semi-final at any Euros, as well as being Sweden's heaviest defeat in the competition. We've laughed a bit at Susie, obviously, but I don't think anyone quite predicted a game like last night. Except for Farrell Williams, who confidently said on the BBC, 4-0. Absolutely unbelievable. She's getting my lottery tickets. In fact, she's just my guiding light for the rest of my life. She didn't look quite so confident, sat in front of me halfway through that game. Were any of us, were any of us confident, particularly after the first 25 minutes? But have faith in Serena Wiegmann. Goals from Beth Mead, Lucy Bronze, Alessia Russo and, of course, Frank Kirby, securing a comfortable win for England in the end. 
The scenes at the end were quite incredible, actually. I always have to run off to the tunnel straight away. But I keep the game on my iPad and I'm listening, obviously, to, to the commentary as well while I'm setting up to do the post-match. And I would say the majority of the girls just looked a bit, yes, we've done this, brilliant, amazing, calm. And then the camera panned to Ellen White, who was just red-faced and <laughs> struggling to hold the emotion back. And I thought, it kind of sums it up. It was incredible. Uh, Johnny, what did you make of it all? Obviously, you weren't able to to be there, but even just watching that afterwards. Yeah, they seem torn, I think, between knowing that this is not the end and that they have a monumental mountain to climb on Sunday against Germany or France. And, and so feeling the need to kind of staunch that emotion and yet feeling it all the same feeling that they've they've conquered this in you know incredible challenge and been on this this amazing journey and and wanting to let it all out but not not feeling like they can really and i think that's why you know we saw some of these these strange reactions at the end and it was the same after the the spain game they've achieved so much and yet the job is still absolutely not done it was amazing performance and result from the point of view of their primary function which was qualifying for the final in terms of actually winning the thing i i don't know I, part, part of me wonders whether they it's it's they, they it would have been better for them to have to to fight a little bit more especially in the second half the next few days are, are just going to be this roller coaster the likes of which very few of us have ever experienced and, and certainly they'll never have experienced every single you know family member and friend is going to be in touch you know saying good luck can we get tickets, whatever, <laughs> every microphone that's shoved into their face and every question they're going to be asked is, what would it mean to win the Euros? What would this mean? They're going to be forced to contemplate this incredible thing. They, it, the next few days are going to be really tough for them emotionally to try and concentrate on this game that is is not one and, and, and they've not achieved anything yet. Part of me worries about that slightly. Maybe that's just, you know, the old fatalism shining through. Oh, do you know what? Those questions are old hat. I've already asked, how would it feel to to win the Euros? I've I've gone early. I went well early in the tournament, to be honest. Um, Salon, you took a group of your Football Beyond Borders girls to the game. I mean, what an experience for them. Yeah, a moment I'll, I'll never forget. For many of them, it was their first time watching the Lionesses. And I had, they've been to a handful of football games. I spoke to one of the girls on the coach on the way back, who's 15. And she said that was life-changing. As a 15-year-old, she used the word life-changing. She was like, I've never watched that team play football before. And last night was was genuinely a transformational experience for her. And it was so powerful to be in that space with 40 teenage girls going crazy for these players. And a particular shout-out to Lotta Wibamoy. We were, we were on the a barrier right at the end. And they were screaming, obviously, every player's name to come over. Lotta came past, said hello. And then she, as she was going off, she turned around, ran back and took off her shirt. And she was running towards us all. And obviously, I was surrounded by around 40 teenage girls screaming, each of whom desperately wanted the shirt. And uh, I stepped out and said, I'll, I'll take it. And who do you want me to give this to in terms of we can give this to someone? And what behavior do you want us to praise? And big respect to her. She was like, I wanted to go to the most competitive girl. So I was like, sick. That is perfect. Thank you. Lisa. I love that. I know. It's stunning. So we will present it today and I'll send her a little video of, of who it goes to and why it goes to them. But I think that was just it. It was just the connection between this team and the fans is also something that you really feel when you're in that stadium. And, and luckily, 80,000 people get to experience that on Sunday now. 
Oh, I know. Do you know what? That whole story has just given me goosebumps and my hotel room is not cold. Susie, this this, is England's first final of an international tournament for the women's team since 2009. I, I don't even really know how you go about summing up the journey that this team has been on. It's very hard to, and on my two-hour journey to Milton Keynes last night, I was reflecting on it a little bit uh, and getting quite emotional, actually, having followed it through that time. I, the thing that I keep like kept thinking about is they're just really nice people as well. And long story shows that it actually made me tear up a little bit. I really like football beyond borders and what they do. Um, and it's nice to hear that they got a really uh, good reception at the at the game. It's a really incredible journey. And I was saying last night that I really don't want to see Ellen White's tear stained face uh, in a semi final again. And then. I saw Ellen White's tear-stained face, but it had a big grin <laughs> plastered across it as well, which was a significant improvement on uh, the Olympics, the World Cup, the Euros. They're just very, very special people, very, very nice, normal people, intelligent people, and brilliant footballers to boot. In a way, they should get to the final and they should win at Wembley because they've had an environment created for them that is vastly superior to, I think, probably what any other team has in Europe and possibly the world now. They're the most invested in women's national team. But they also have really, really earned it. Uh, and that's really nice too. Yeah, I think anybody who's spent any time with this squad over the past few years would absolutely echo what you say there, Susie, because they are so grounded and down to earth. Right, we really need to talk about the game. Like, we could just wax lyrical about the fact that England are into the the final of of the European Championships, but let's find out how exactly uh, they did it. Perhaps some mind games by the Sweden coach Peter Gerhardsson, Johnny, because no surprises from Serena. We thought there might be one, but she stuck to her guns unchanged. But Peter Gerhardsson, Jonna Anderson returned, but to the bench. And we were led to believe, perhaps, because she didn't train in their matchday minus one training, that perhaps she wasn't recovered quickly enough from, from COVID. Sophia Jakobsen came in on the right for the first time this tournament. And Hannah Glass was pushed out to left back. Amanda Ilstead left to deal with Lauren Hemp on, on the left wing. What, what did you make of those changes? I mean, the, the thing about this Sweden team is that the core of that side have been together for for such a long period of time and they, they all know their roles so well that they can rotate with, I guess, less of the disruption that you might find with other teams. They were pretty well organised. You could argue that that was their best performance of the tournament, actually. Could easily have gone ahead after, what, 20 seconds? And for, you know, for the first half hour, they they were absolutely in that game. They, they pressed, I thought, really well. They defended really well. And, you know, there was a, there was a period during which England were probably thinking, well, how, how are we going to break them down? And, and as Wiegmann said afterwards, they, they, found, they found solutions on the pitch. The second goal was, was absolutely crucial in terms of just, just breaking Sweden's spirit. And England, I think, realised from that point that they were, you know, they were the better team. And just, just knowing that and expecting to create chances and expecting to score, it, it has a really kind of demotivating effect on a team. Because from that moment on, Sweden looked like it was it was kind of a, a form of damage control for them. 
Yeah, very much so. How are you feeling at half time, Susie? Because even before the, the Beth Mead goal went in, obviously it was a frenetic game, I think is the best way to, to describe that opening 25, 30 minutes. And England felt as if they were hanging on a little bit as well. Both teams using long balls over the top to try and open each other up. And it was kind of working, kind of of not. But what happened with the opening goal just seemed to completely suck the life out of out of Sweden. Yeah, and as Johnny said, it totally lifted England. I mean, the whole dynamic of the game and the atmosphere in the stadium, the just belief of the players, I don't know, just totally shifted at that moment. Like, it was so pinpointable um, as a moment that changed the game. It sort of told England that they could do it um, mm. in a way that, you know, it took them a little bit longer to do against Spain. Just the second they scored this belief course through them. And that's that's my, I'm throwing ahead a little bit, but it's, it's my one fear of the final is if they don't score, um, if, they, if they fall behind, like, can they get back into it? Yes, they've done it against Spain, but it's a sort of different kettle of fish, you know, in a final. But, you know, when they go ahead, they, they don't they don't give up a lead. And that's confidence fueling throughout the squad. I think the other thing is with Sweden is absolutely blistering first 30 minutes. But this tournament has sort of shown that this Sweden team is heading towards a period of transition in that obviously they've not got Nia Fischer anymore because she's retired. You know, they had... Uh, Hedvig Lindahl in goal obviously did not have the best game she's 39 Caroline Seeger you know has been in and out with injury and stuff in this tournament and she 37 years old 230 odd caps so like they've got a sort of generation there that are on their way out and have been extremely important to the team but they're sort of in the process of transitioning some in some of the younger players like Hannah Benison and and players like that. So they've almost gone past the point at which it was their moment to win a major tournament with the semi-final third place playoff games in 2019 at the World Cup with the Olympics missing out on gold on penalties to Canada. Huge blow, um, losing... Um, the 2016 Olympic final as well. They had three chances, they missed them. And I don't think they're going to be as competitive potentially as they were in uh, in 2019 at the World Cup next summer. Um, I do think it's going to be a couple of years, a few years of, um, of sort of shifting sands of the, of the Sweden team. I feel as if Magda Eriksson thinks that as well. I saw her in the mix zone speaking to um, Swedish television and she was in floods of tears and struggling to keep it together. Did as a as a consummate professional, obviously. But um, yeah, I, I, I think you're exactly spot on there, Susie. It feels like a massive chance missed for this particular Sweden side. And there are Sweden side salon who we've been used to watching in this tournament and and previously you know that have been superior defensively but, but last night they couldn't deal with that ball into the box from Lauren Hemp that then went out to to Lucy Bronze with that first time ball into Beth Mead the volley into the back of the net after stopping it dead was just standard Beth Mead it was incredible she's now scored more goals than any individual players ever managed at a single 
women's Euros and, you know, she deserves that after this performance. Absolutely. I think what they're producing isn't just standard wins. We're seeing phenomenal football taking place. And I think that is also what is contributing to this excitement, this atmosphere, this shift in experience of this team, because that goal, obviously we'll talk about it in a bit, I'm sure, but Russo's back here. There was just the quality on show for how how they're taking their chances is just exceptional. I think as soon as Beth Mead's goal went in, you kind of knew, as I think Susie said, we're not giving up that lead. And the second goal just confirmed that. But there was a moment, I think in the 60, I think it was around the 65th minute where Mary Earp saves it to just knock it over the bar. And I felt like that, that really could have been the difference. If Sweden had got one back at that time, you know, there's players in that team, there's leaders in that team that would have felt felt their opportunity and felt that we can get something here. We've got a lot of time and we're not going out. But Mary Earps was absolutely critical in that win. We can talk about the goals and the finishing and the crossing and yeah, the incredible passages of play that we've seen. But without Mary Earps back there, we we wouldn't be at this stage of the tournament, I think. Yeah, Johnny, that was actually crucial, Mary Earps' um, save. And she was called into action in the first 30 seconds as well. And she had to be properly on her game. When I spoke to her afterwards, actually, she was she said the ball was just ping-ponging around the box and she had to stay alert for, for the whole time. And she said, I don't really remember exactly what happened. And I said to her, oh, don't you worry, you're going to be watching it on repeat <laughs> from now on. But the timing of that was so, so crucial at 2-0 up and Sweden starting to get a bit of momentum. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, I've always I've always had, had my doubts about Erps as a keeper. I, I, I think she's capable of you know, outstanding saves, you know, and she's, she's an, an incredible shot stopper going into this tournament. And actually, you know, for, for the last couple of years, I've worried about how she might react under pressure and the way that she's grown into this tournament after, you know, let's face it, having very little to do in the first two or three games, the way she's grown into this tournament uh, has, has been, I think, a revelation. It's been, she's in the form of her life at the moment. And, and yeah, I mean, Sweden actually got through and created more chances against England than, than any other team, even Spain, who, who for all their possession did, didn't have that much clear-cut sight of goal against them. And if you're Germany or France watching that game back, you're probably thinking there are ways of getting th- around England, of, of getting the ball into the box, but how are we going to get past Mary Earps? She is now the sort of player that opposition teams need to need to have a plan for. And the defence as well. I mean, like, you know, Millie Bright and, and Williamson, who have, who have not, obviously got a lot of the plaudits, but they've been so crucial, not not just in terms of what they've done with the ball, but in terms of the temperament and the calmness and just just playing the ball out, not making errors and, and, and clearing their lines. Just like that entire England back five has been so key to to setting the tone for their tournament. And and yeah, it, I think the final is going to be a tight game. So that's that's just going to be so crucial. Johnny, I'm just going to stop you there and say we thought that Norway was going to be a tight game and we thought that Sweden was going to be a tight game. So, you know, maybe, maybe we should all stop making predictions or maybe we should continue making them because uh, let's hope (laughs) the final is not a tight game. Listen, let's just stop for a moment and appreciate the absolute worldie that Alessia Russo scored. 
I feel as if that is one of the best goals I've ever seen live. And I saw Eric Lamella's Rabona live, but this was just incredible. I was behind the goal and I looked at my radio colleague to my left and we just were agape. Like what just happened? And it's not the first time, Susie, that we've talked about how outrageous Alessia Russo's goal was, but back healing the rebound of her original shot through not one but two Swedish players legs was just beautiful Uh, I'm just gonna read out some much more impressive people than me's thoughts on it Ian Wright on the BBC forget messy we've got lessy she's also (laughs) gone global tweets from Abby Rambach who said that she had dreamed of scoring a goal like that for her entire career and then Sam Kerr, who tweeted, as she, you know, she just keeps it short always, doesn't she? That was lit. How lit was it, Susie Rack? <laughs> oh, it's beautiful, wasn't it? I mean, Sam Kerr was funny because she also tweeted about not caring about the Euros, not before the <laughs> tournament. So uh, clearly she's uh, she's changed the channel. Um, it was a beautiful thing. And it was just really, really surprising. <laughs> I don't think anyone quite believe what they had seen let alone uh, Hedvig Lindahl um but yeah we spoke to her after the match and she was <laughs> she she was just really frustrated that she had missed the first chance I know <laughs> that's what she said to me <laughs> yeah so once it fell back to me I just thought what's the quickest route for me to get this ball in the back of the net because I should have scored in the first place so I just swung a foot at it and luckily it went in um <laughs> and yeah just like incredibly humble I mean she did say that it is probably the best goal she's ever scored and things like that as well but a lot of people have been calling for obviously to start in place of Ellen White but you just think that this formula is working so well she's she's so effective coming off the bench and running at sort of already tired and morale beaten players that you like why would you mess with that and yeah like just wonderful wonderful experience to be a part of in that ground when that goal goes in as well yeah it was beautiful what what did the girls think of that salon well there was just lots of screaming and uh yeah also faces of just complete and utter disbelief it's really difficult to not attribute meaning to something that is just a back heel like in essence All she did was make contact with the back of her heel to the ball and it went in a goal. But I just have this tendency to be like, that goal is archetypal of everything that Serena Wiegmann has got this team to be and to do and to believe. Like, you miss a chance. You've got your back to goal. You're in a semi-final. You are a young player. You're playing against world number two. And you think your instinct, it's an instinctual act, is to say, I can pull that off and do that. And not only that, Once it then goes in, you might expect an incredibly arrogant, a folded arms, look at me, I'm the greatest player the world has ever seen sort of celebration. And really, she just ran off and was just like, oh, my God. And like sort of laughing, hugging her teammates, being like, that just happened. That was wicked, wasn't it? I think that for me was like this beautiful 30 seconds of player misses a chance, player then turns around and makes a beautiful opportunity out of nothing with the highest bit of skill which is outrageous player then runs off and celebrates with her mates I'm like that is what this England team is and that's what the experience of being there and supporting them has been like it's been like of course she did that of course she did that that is the confidence and the 
yeah, it is an arrogance, but it doesn't, you don't experience it as arrogance because you don't get those moments of, yeah, I'm sick. I'm the best player in the world. You get, yeah, I did that. And that was, that was pretty cool, wasn't it? It's the lack of scruples, isn't it? It's, it's the, the total absence of, of um, that impulse that I think anybody who has ever played football at whatever level of the game feels. I, I don't want to look like an idiot. It's such a powerful impulse. And, and the further up you go, the more important the stakes get, the, the stronger that impulse becomes almost. You know, you don't like that. It's why defenders clear the ball instead of, instead of trying to thread a pass through the midfield. It's why wingers go for the cross and, and try and win a corner rather than try and take on, take on the defender. That, that fear of failure is just so strong. And the skill itself, like we, we could all back heel a ball. The fact that she's done it there at that moment, you know, she, she'd, probably, she'd probably feel quite embarrassed at missing that chance. And and yet to then do that just shows how, how kind of uninhibited they all are. It was such a telling moment. It just, it, it, you know, like Solon says, it says everything about the attitude and spirit of this team. They they do not fear anything. They are not inhibited in any way. It's just what is the quickest and most efficient solution to do the thing that I want to do at this moment. And it's such a, it's almost a Zen state. Something that is really strong in our sort of methodology when we work with young people is this principle of attachment theory and having these really strong relationships with someone that you trust and an adult. And that relationship is so important to be able to then go and take risks as a teenager to go and experiment because you know you have this like safe and secure base to come back to. So if you make a mistake or you mess up and you always know that that's okay and that's a really healthy like pattern to go on in development. And it might sound sensationalist or ridiculous to extrapolate that to the culture and what Serena Wiegmann has brought. But I genuinely think she's brought these players to a point of you can go out there and you can make mistakes because it's okay. This is a safe container for you to go and experiment, try out. And that's what gets the best out of people. That's when people test themselves and push themselves out of their comfort zone because then there isn't the fear of failure that Jonathan said. So I think what... I, I cannot wait. There's got to be a documentary about what Serena has done in this sort of period of transformation at some point being inside that camp. There probably won't be because I think she's incredibly private about what she's actually doing. But I do think there is, yeah, there's there's a magic formula there in how she's treating these players as, as individuals, but also the culture that she has built as a team. And that is what drives the results and the massive step change. Yeah, and actually I asked her that last night and in typical Serena Wiegmann humble style, she said all of the groundwork was done before I came in and it's all down to the players and the backroom staff. And I just laughed at her <laughs> because I thought, no, 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 I've been to other tournaments no with this side. We will in part two speak in depth about Serena Wiegmann, but Susie, you wanted to have another mention of uh, Russo's goal. Yeah, no, it was just uh, Leah Williamson said it after... The Norway game, I love the quote, nobody wins afraid of losing. And that really sums up the attitude and what Salon said about Serena and the environment she's brought in is significant because it is very much designed to to be an environment that, that lifts the pressure on the players and allows them to make mistakes on the pitch it should be a safe space because there's so much noise around them. There's so many pressures and, you know, you, you want them to feel completely, you know, at ease and able to uh, make a mistake and go again and, and lift the pressure in that way. So yeah, a real, real important atmosphere she's brought around the team in that respect. Yeah, it's very similar to what Gareth Southgate has, has done actually, but let's, let's round off the goals because 
We really need a word on Fran Kirby, Johnny, because you claim she's the best England player we have. On last night's performance, I agree. Yeah, Kirby was sensational again. That link between midfield and the front three is so important. She find, she somehow manages to find spaces that the central midfielders haven't quite covered or the fullbacks aren't quite getting across to cover and the centre-halves don't quite know whether to step up. She makes those spaces her playground and she, she does so much damage. The, the way she can she can take the ball under pressure and not lose it and move it on, but, but quickly as well, without ta- having to take two or three touches. That's her technical ability. That's her physical strength and the vision as well to play the pass. I mean, that little interchange with Kira Walsh for the third goal was just a sublime piece of football. And I'm so pleased she got her goal. Um, she deserved it. You know, Lindahl got a little bit of criticism for the way that the third goal went through her legs and she got fingers to the fourth goal, but couldn't stop it. I just, honestly, I she wouldn't she wasn't expecting any of that and why would you if you're you know if you're a goalkeeper who's played at the top you know the top level or you know she'd be playing for what two three decades almost you you condition yourself to know what the the expected range of outcomes in a particular situation is and you know if, if a player is bearing down on goal what 20 25 yards out two defenders she expects you know that Kirby's going to take a touch and maybe try and you know tuck it in the corner, maybe try and go around her. She's just not, she's just not expecting it. And and again, that we talk about the exuberance. We talk about just playing on pure instinct. It's 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 not so much vibes. I mean, vibes kind of does them a disservice. It's totally just drilled, learned inspiration. And you can teach that. You can you can train great players to to do great things. But it, it needs a culture, and it needs. A kind of an intelligent regime that allows them, you know, the technical and emotional framework to do that. It was, it was the the piece de resistance. It was the can we swear? It was the fu to to like we we're just better than you, and we're going to show it. And um, it was kind of perfect in a way. Yeah, it really was perfect and, uh, you know, perfect timing to move on to part two, actually. But we will be back on Thursday and Friday to continue the conversation on England. But that is it for part one. We will look ahead to the second semi-final, Germany versus France. And, you know, as if we're not going to continue mentioning the England score one more time. As you know, this podcast is supported by Visa. And so we wanted to take a few minutes to showcase how, as well as being a proud sponsor of UEFA Women's Euro 2022, they're financially supporting global initiatives that will help grow women's football at all levels. This includes football camps for kids, like the one that Swiss international and PSG forward Ramona Backman helped to organise with help from Visa. Uh, Ramona, lovely to see you. You're taking part in what sounds like an incredible kids camp. You did one last year. You've got another one coming up as well. Uh, Just tell us what it's like and how did it come about? This has been an idea which I've been playing with for a long time. And yeah, finally last year we started with the first one. So we had two in Switzerland and this year is going to be the third one. How does it work? What do you do with them? The camps are usually two days. 
So there's a lot of training involved. I'm giving them some tips, some tricks. So yeah, it's a great time. And it also gives me a lot back because I can tell in their faces how happy they are and that they really enjoy it. And it makes me happy too. Yeah, you can tell how passionate you are about it. As one of the biggest names in the game at the moment, how much responsibility do you feel in terms of having to help the next generation of, of superstar players? I feel like with Visa supporting, uh, investing a lot in women's football too, um, I just think it's really important to give something back and also to give, especially the girls and the boys, different kind of role models. Because when I was young, I didn't really know that there was any professional women's footballers, which is different now. So I know I have a lot of young girls, but also a lot of young boys that are following me and have me as their role model. And yeah, this is really cool. It's important to give something back to the to the younger generation. All the experience I have, I think they can learn a lot. What a fantastic role model you are, Ramona. Thank you so much for your time and best of luck with the tournament as well. Thank you very much. Now it's back to the show. Welcome back to part two of the Guardian Women's Football Weekly. Before we move on to that second semi-final, we touched on it a little bit in part one in terms of Serena Wiegmann's impact. But a finalist at the 2017 Euros, 2019 World Cup and now 2022 Euros with two different teams. I'm struggling, Susie, to think of any international managers who've had the same kind of impact as her from any side of the game. And when I spoke to her after the match... I said, I can finally talk to you about a final, Serena, because she's always batted every single final question back at me. And she just smiled. It was a beam. So when I interviewed her at the Amex after that quarterfinal against Spain, she was a little bit manic. Like, we're not used to seeing her like that. She's normally cool, calm and collected. But yesterday, she just looked happy, which I found really interesting. I feel as if for her, this was job one done, get them to the final. And now it's the next step. How do you, how do you view it? Yeah, I think it was a big step for her to come to England without like being up, you know, what the FA are doing too much. But like the Netherlands are a great team. And what she did there was really quite remarkable given the, the level of resources they had going into that 2017 tournament. Um, obviously, it was on home soil. They put a lot of effort in. But comparatively, the player pool, the development of the game in Netherlands is like so so far behind England and many other European countries as well when she came back from America she spent a year at the University of North Carolina where so many of the US Women's World Cup winners over the past however many years came through that system and that environment and she spent a year there playing and studying and then went back to uh, the Netherlands and was you know, very much like I want to see the expectation and the standards that I got at college in the US available to women in the Netherlands. And she's been a big part of driving that change. And now she's coming to an environment where you've got that sort of superstructure below her to work with. And so it's almost like, you know, she needed to get to the final with England to sort of prove that you know, she could work within this this setup and, and guide it to this point. And, you know, given the best resources, some one of the best talent pools in the world and uh, one of the best support systems in the world that, you know, she could achieve. Yeah, incredible manager. I mean, the only one that comes close maybe is Joe Ellis, but, you know, you kind of 
look at the US women's national team and think how much was that the manager and how much was that just the team um, as well. So, uh, you know, I think in terms of like where you can see the direct influence of the manager on a team uh, to get them to this point, I, I can't think of someone in the women's game, at least that has been as influential. Mm. Is it too soon to talk about the effect it could have on women's football in, in this country? We, we've obviously talked a lot this week about legacy in sport, 10 years on from the Olympics. Um, and Ian Wright last night on the telly got very emotional talking about the impact it could have on young girls and boys watching, but particularly young girls who want to play football and are prevented from playing football just because of their gender. Listen, I urge all of you not to use the phrase seminal moment. You did very well and not not use it uh, during Alessia Russo's goal talk. It's an immediate red card if you do. But Salon, in particular, you know, the, the girls that you work with, how much of an effect is this going to have? Just reaching the final, let alone winning it. <laughs> it, it is genuinely difficult to, to quantify and to, to put it into words. And I can only talk about moments that feel like they signify something that is coming or, or some a change has happened. And I think I was sat last night, obviously, amongst all of our girls and they're all 15 and they've been on the FPB program for for three years and, and many of whom never played football before we we started working with them when they were 12 years old and I was sat behind one of the girls last night and she's really popular influential girls who has just a brilliant mind and she was she was sat there and she was saying really quietly like this is really cool like, this is this is wicked I need to I need to come to more of this these players are unreal. And she just kept like murmuring <laughs> these little things. And I was, I just sat and just kind of received it and listened. And then at the 90 minutes, she just ran out down the stairs and got straight to the front to try and see all the players. And I think until they've had that, that moment and that feeling and they've been there, and I think what's been such a step change in this tournament and why I and the other staff members were so determined to get those girls there last night was because we sat in that quarterfinal and we experienced something that was completely different to how I'd watched women's football before. When I was 15 and I went to an international friendly and watched, you know, your Alex Scott's, Rachel Units, Faye White's play, there was like, yeah, very few people there. And, and, there, and even if there was a lot of people there, there wasn't necessarily an atmosphere that has felt so electric this time. And I I kind of, I know we've talked a lot about that. So the point is that last night was their 40, 15-year-old girls' first experience of watching the Lionesses live, which now sets the precedent for what they expect from women's football for the rest of their lives. That is the impact of this tournament. That is what packing out these stadiums and putting on the best show of football does because it then frames their perspective for the rest of their lives on what they want from women's football. They're not the boring old me's now who, yeah, I'm only 26, but I'm like, that That was a completely different generation of football. And, oh, I've lived through this and I've seen the change. They're just like, shut up. I don't even know what you're talking about. That's what women's football is and how, how I expect it. So that, I think, is really where you will see the change going forward in the stadiums, hopefully when it translates to the WSL attendances, the future England games are outside of a major tournament. 
Yeah, and we've got another 90 minutes of cracking football ahead tonight as well because Germany face France for the opportunity to play England in that final at Wembley. Two fantastic teams I think many of us thought would get to this point despite people's thoughts on on France usually imploding. But Germany are going to be missing Clara Ball, Johnny. She's tested positive for COVID. How much of a, a loss will that be for them? Yeah, big because that front three of of, of Boul and and Alexandra Pop and, and Svenja Huth has has been so potent for them. Partly because of you know their, their different skill sets, the way they combine, and and Boul has been you know she's done it all really. She's kind of she's burgled soft goals and she's pressed from the front, but she's also kind of linked play really intelligently. Yeah, I mean it's a big miss, but the, the thing about this German team is that they. They know how to pace their way through tournaments. It's it's the one thing that gives me slight pause when it comes to you know assessing England's chances of winning the whole thing. They are the ones who are who are stepping into genuinely unknown territory. There are no maps for where they're going. Germany, you know, have done this before. Not all of them. I mean, you know, for, for a lot of their players, this will be their you know this will be their first taste of the sharp end of a, of a major tournament. But that kind of collective, almost cultural memory of, you know, we talk about expectation. Germany expect to be here. They expect to get to these stages of tournaments. They expect to, to compete and, and get to finals and they expect to win. And, and having that collective knowledge, having, you know, the senior players who can who can pass that on to the younger players and just kind of instill that culture of, of expectation and standards is so important. That their, their midfield as well has been you know, one of the revelations of the, of the tournament. We, you know, we all know you how, how good Oberdorf was and, and Daybritz and, and Magul as well, who's, who's, been, who's been one of their best players. I fancy them uh, over France. And not just the tournament know-how. I think, I think France are kind of, I don't know, they seem to have tapered off a bit. They, they, they started with such a bang. Uh, they lost Katoto to injury. And, you know, they, they've sort of, they've not looked quite as impressive since and and like you're right they haven't imploded like we we all kind of expected they would or or perhaps feared they might or relished that they might sorry <laughs> well it, well it, it, yes exactly i think i think we've all been we've all been denied the spectacle we deserve there uh, <laughs> but there, there, there's still time right but also I, ju- I just feel that not kind of running out of puff but they're not progressing and they're not developing into the tournament that i think the way they we, we you know they suggested they might from their first couple of games so mm. my money would be on Germany there. Susie, two very different playing styles, Germany and France. Who, who, I mean, Johnny's alluded to it there and I think he's right. Who do you think England would prefer to meet? It's a hard one. I mean, obviously Germany at Wembley in the final of a major tournament is never a nice proposition for any England fan. But they've looked so strong in this tournament. They have enormous collective memory of those wins behind them they've been there and done it time and time again but I do struggle to write off France purely because you know I wrote them off pretty much from the start of the tournament personally like I did you know based on the fact that they have been so chaotic off the field um you know so many big names left out of that squad and they've always found a way through I don't think they've like Johnny said hit the sort of the rhythm and the the sort of, I suppose, gone on a tournament growth journey in the way that, say, Germany have or England have or Spain were on. But they have got this far and found a way, often playing quite audaciously 
and their forwards, sort of regardless of whether Katoto is there or not, are extremely quick and there's an element of surprise there, I suppose. So, like, whilst, you know, I think given the strength of the German side, you know, hopefully Ball would be back for the final, it's hard to not think that they are the bigger threat going into that, like, final game. But I think there is just this unknown uh, element to France and their threat and where it's going to come from and, you know, which player is going to step up. and, and, And that's quite exciting and slightly scary too. You didn't nail your colours to the mast, though. You just sat there with splinters. Come on. Oh, no, I'm totally, it's Germany all the way. Like, Germany are going to win. I'm convinced of that. Um, I've got this horrific image of uh, lots of tears at Wembley having lost to Germany. So, yeah, I fully think Germany are going to reach fight. But I think that there is this just sort of unknown element to France of, yeah, quite an exciting way of playing that means that you can't quite write them out. So it's going to be a France-England final and England will be triumphant with no tears in that case. Um, important vibe check though, Salon. Which fans do we want with us? Oh, French fans, definitely. They're way more fun. They're way more fun. The Germans, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not here for the Germans at Wembley, but also it will make it more satisfying uh, when we do beat the Germans in the final. It's going to be a very different atmosphere, Susie, to, to the one that we that we felt at Wembley this time last year and, and without wanting to go all uh, oh the atmosphere of women's football is so nice uh what is it going to be like on Sunday everyone's been saying it, it's not going to be the same as last year but I don't think you can ever say that for sure um I, I'm fairly confident it won't be but um I wouldn't have necessarily predicted quite how badly things would go last year so you know you never you never know when it's a, a big crowd at Wembley for a final but um, but yeah, I mean, the atmospheres to date in this tournament have just been phenomenal. Um, the vibe in the grounds, like my little sister was, she's uh, 10, um, was at the Northern Ireland game in Southampton with her, her mate Kira. They had made a little sign and written all the names of the players around the edge of their come on England sign and put like little flowers around it and things. And it like... They had the best time. You know, she's not that interested in football. She has a, you know, a passing like fondness for Arsenal because of myself, my dad and uh, and our little brother, Jack. But yeah, zero real interest in football. And she absolutely loved it. She was absolutely buzzing. And it was the atmosphere. And like my, I remember my son went to the, he's eight. He went to the, he's nine now. He was eight at, at Old Trafford. Like my husband said to me, afterwards um and he's been to two games at the world cup in france and he's been to the fa cup final and things like that but he's not he's not really kind of got on with football to date and my husband just said he he really enjoyed it and he was quite overawed by it by the, the the atmosphere by the singing um i got back to the hotel room and he was dancing nude on the bed to sweet caroline um <laughs> And yeah, like had an absolute blast. I said, I, the atmosphere is going to be incredible. It's going to be three times bigger <laughs> crowd wise than, than what it was at Bramall Lane. I mean, I think there's a huge missed opportunity in that, like, I think England could have sold out Wembley six times over uh, on the way to this final, or at least all the way through the knockouts, because I think this has been very much a tournament that has, that has grown 
in momentum and interest as it's gone on. Um, I think prior to the tournament, uh, if you'd had every game at Wembley, they may not have all sold out. But I think, you know, by the end of the group stage, at very least, they would have all sold out. And so, you, you, you know, you think of the revenue and the the interest and the, the kind of impact that that would have had. And you think that there's been a bit of an underestimation there of, of A, how far the team was going to go and B, exactly what selling out Wembley could mean for the game um, more broadly as well. So, you know, whilst obviously it's going to be wonderful and brilliant and like electric, um, I think is the only word to describe it on Sunday, there is also a little bit of a like what if for me about if they had gone there sooner. I think just on on the point of women's football atmosphere being so nice, I think digging a little bit deeper into that, the word that comes up for me and the feeling is just belonging. Like that is the comparison to the men's game. Standing in Wembley last year, perhaps as a woman watching England men play, no matter how much national pride is flowing through you, you, well, I say I still feel I don't 100% belong. And I've been in and around the men's game my whole life. And what this is, the contrast is, is this just radical acceptance and feeling of belonging from six-year-old boys to 70-year-old women. You look around and you see people from so many different walks of life, all side by side, doing the same thing and enjoying the same thing without any a splinter of aggro. And that is the feeling. That is why it feels so powerful to be in those stadiums because you just feel like you belong. And then that creates this atmosphere where everyone is invited to the party. Well, everybody is always invited to the Guardian Women's Football Weekly Party. Thanks for being with us today. Susie Rack, a pleasure. I shall see you. I won't see you at Wembley. Well, I will see you at Wembley, but I'll see you before Wembley. I'll see you at the Lensbury. Yeah, back at the Lensbury. And having had COVID, I am like, you know, got my insurance policy for the final signed and sealed already. It's going to be great. Amazing. Well, keep your fingers crossed for me in that case. Johnny Lou, always a pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'll see you in a very long queue somewhere. I'm sure. Always. Salon, take care. Thanks, everyone. Right. What a night. We will be back tomorrow and we have a special bonus episode looking ahead to the final, which will drop on Friday. The Guardian's Women's Football Weekly is produced by Lucy Oliver and Jesse Parker Humphreys with additional help from Silas Gray and George Cooper. Music composition was from Laura Iredale and our executive producers are Chessie Bent, Max Sanderson and Danielle Stevens. The Guardian Women's Football Weekly is supported by Visa.